2: Hi folks welcome to another episode of film study this is ken mccusick we're back for part two to talk about the defense against the chargers great win largely predicated upon that defense and here to talk about with us
3: is denard melton denard how you doing i'm doing well this evening it's always good to talk some good football and good especially when it's a good defense
2: yeah, but i appreciate you joining us for this denard and um you can catch the fire zone show with denard melton and michael Crawford. Outstanding show, um, two outstanding analysts. We really respect Michael, longtime friend of the show. Denard's been on probably four or five times by now, maybe more than that, including some off-season content, uh, but it's always a pleasure to talk football with him as well. And uh, I know the the, the the quality of the content they produce is very high, so definitely worth uh, worth the effort to go at the Fire Zone show, uh, look for their, uh, I'm sure you, you get tagged through that handle always when a new episode comes out, right? That is correct. All right. And anything else they should they should be searching for in terms of keywords. Uh, the Fire Zone show Ravens will find it on any kind of podcast yeah. app, I guess. Absolutely. All right. Great. Uh, well, second part of the show, we always sit down and talk about individual performances on the defense here. Start us off, Art. Who do you want to talk about?
3: I first want to talk about Brandon Stevens. I I I know a lot of people started out the season thinking he was going to play safety. Well, I thought he his best fit on this team was probably going to be at safety. But he has, and particularly in this game, you may see the numbers that Keenan Allen had a whole bunch of catches. But you didn't watch the game. He controlled his side of the field. He controlled everyone who came to his side of the field. He made play after play. He made tackles. And he is... An unsung hero in that secondary who has kept that whole thing together.
2: Completely agree. Um, he's had a great year uh, overall, and and this game, I think he allowed uh, maybe six catches on eight targets or something. But you know, Allen caught the first fourteen targets he had in the game. So you know, it's Allen and Herbert have you know kind of that Andrews and, and Jackson connection, and the entire offense is funneled through Allen. For this team even you, know, you can see even funneled through on the lateral play on the third and 17 when they needed to convert that they did it via allen so it's it's not like you don't know the ball's going there uh you still got to respect what he brings to the table in terms of speed or in terms of the ability to get behind you um uh if if he throws that in, i thought stevens did a great job of making sure that didn't happen most of the time he's making a play on him downhill a lot of those they're not even making any uh, bones about it because they were throwing to the outside, throwing short to him there, throwing slants to him, and a lot of those those plays just just went for a few yards. And, and I think he gave up 50 yards of receiving in the game. I remember seeing, and that ain't much when you get targeted eight times. So it's that's yeah. uh, just fine. He had a nice PD during the game on on one play, um, and I thought in general, you know, another fine game to add to a great year for Stevens. I, I don't know if he's really a pro bowl level player. I know a lot of the Ravens, other defensive players would like to tell us that, but I don't really care. I mean, he's filled such an enormous hole and he's played almost every snap. Uh, It's just, he's been unbelievably good. And he's, he's certainly in the top 15 to 18 corners in the league right now in terms of uh, how his statistically his season has played out.
3: Yes. And I would say, I don't think anybody else in this team could have played corner slot, corner and safety in the same game and 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 was which he did in college <laughs> yes. well not only, but he did it um in
2: You're the right.
3: game earlier. hamilton year, left
2: due to the due to the, due to the ejection
3: and then someone got hurt on the back end and he had to finish the game as a safety yeah. so i mean he he is bringing the versatility that he has we thought was going to help us one way but it has helped the Ravens in a dramatically different way.
2: You know, I, 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 I completely agree with what you say, by the way, in terms of Stevens could be moved around if necessary, the great value that Stevens has provided the Ravens to me and that the 10 point item instead of the one point item, which I think is the versatility is the fact that he's locked down that right quarterback position. Yes. He's just been able to play there down after down after down for the whole year. And, you know he got stuck there on opening day because the Ravens didn't have anybody better. He played a little bit better at the end of last year than he had early in the year when he when he was kind of a mess at at, at outside yes. corner. And and he and he really put his game together towards the end of last year. And this year he's just been rock solid there. And and I I'm I don't want versatility from him. there. I want him to be Chris McAllister and play every down out there the rest of his career. I I, I don't want to hear another thing about him moving to safety no, or slot no. or anything
3: like it. Yeah. Oh, no, he 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 has earned the right to be out there till he no longer deserves that right yep. on this football team. Yeah. Earned the right to fail. That's the, yep. that's the, yes. Good player Absolutely. to choose for your first one.
2: I, I I'll, i you know, I think let's get the big discussion out of the way because it's a long one for me is what happened to Patrick queen in this game. And, you know, I it, this is a game where he had a very strange set of up and down Positives, and I tried to lay it out for my radio appearance tomorrow in advance, just to lay out the pro and con place because there, you, you rarely see a player who is like has plays this great on one hand and plays this terrible on the other hand in terms of, of what they did. <laughs> but I want to run through these really quickly. So the first pro is something a lot of people maybe didn't miss, but the, the you know the Chargers were driving on their first drive and they got down and they had that. Stone hit the guy laid out of bounds, didn't get flagged, and then they got the retaliatory penalty on Salyer, the left tackle, the left guard, rather. Okay. Mm-hmm. The guy who drew that was Patrick yeah. Queen in the yes, yes. <laughs> and, yes. Flopping all over the place. <laughs> he's played a little soccer in his life, clearly. Yes. So that, that, was a, that was an A-level play. You always want your, your people Beckhaming, and I'm talking Beckham the soccer player or Beckham the football player, both know how to both know who to flop. Uh, Then he came back with a forced fumble on Eckler on the reception that was recovered by Pierce. So tremendous play there, high value, drive-ending play. He tackled Eckler on that screen for minus four. Both he and Roquan had it diagnosed, but he got there first and destroyed him before he could even get turned around. Um, Then he set the pick to let Washington come in on the stunt. That was the stunt for the quarterback hit, not the one for the sack. But it was was still a, a really good play. And then the biggest play of the game for him, anyway, well, maybe not the biggest, but but one of the biggest, is third and six. He came in, he knocked the pass down that was intended for Eckler. And the Ravens somehow, when it seemed like there no way in hell are they going to get the Chargers on the field, some suddenly had him at fourth and six. And Molette finished him off on the next play. And, you know, they they didn't quite seal the game there, but that was the biggest individual set of two downs right there. And Patrick Queen came up with a big play. Now, I want, I, I'll let you respond in terms of the pros before I go into the cons
3: here. And there were a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, There's never been a question about his potentials of flash in great moments. We've seen that since he's been here, even when he was struggling. You saw flashes. You were like, okay, it's down there dormant, but it's flickering. And he's been consistent up until the last four weeks. And Roquan has been the same way. If you've kind of paid attention a little bit, they've both kind of, I don't know, flattened out is is a good term, but they've been a little uneven in their play. And I think even though Queen scored his highest grade according to PF. Mm -hmm. this week (laughs) I wouldn't be happy going into the break if I was him I've been there myself as a player where I've had 18 tackles and I'll go and watch film and it could be the worst 18 tackle performance (laughs) I've ever saw I because I was out of you know I was reaching too much or I wasn't using my hands or I was out of lanes or I was you know what I accused the Ravens of doing a couple of weeks ago was playing hero ball. Um so the great plays he had we they're always there. It's always been the consistency part of it which is not having so many negatives.
2: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about those negatives, if we can, for a bit, because and this is one I, you know, I'm very happy with with Queen's net aggregate contributions, but if it were this exact same set of plays, I'd actually be pretty upset about it in terms of of what happened. So the cons. In one of the most hilarious things, he passed up a free run at Herbert and tried to make a phantom pick block that was immediately picked up by I guess that was Garrett, right? Who who picked it up? he, He sounds a lot like Tony Dungy to me for some reason. They, they've got yes, a, kind of a
3: Similar because they they to work level. together. Yeah. Now so he's. Oh, were they working together there? Uh, NBC. You, oh, okay. But Garrett was the only one on the broadcast last on on Sunday night, right? Right, but he was in the studio for like two plus years. Okay, gotcha. With with Tony Dungy, yeah. Gotcha. I, I just,
2: I, I seriously didn't know if Dungy was maybe in the booth for part of the game, the whole game, whatever might have been, because I keep hearing his voice in my head. But, but it's Garrett. So anyway, passed up that that phantom, uh, passed up the, the free run for phantom picks. That was bad. He had a missed tackle by the right sideline where it could have been about a three yard loss on Kelly, and Kelly got free and 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 got for no gain. Not a terrible missed tackle as missed tackles go. Um, As long as you're backed up in that situation, it's not bad. If you're not backed up, it could be a much bigger yardage result. But zone defense, again, usually makes missed tackles not that terrible for the Ravens. The third and 17 play to Eckler. Okay, Queen is on the outside of that, and it's a very tough charge against him. But he's the guy responsible for the lateral to Eckler. All right. Now, Queen got caught by the candy, which is exactly what the, the Chargers needed to happen. And also because Roquan was in the process of having a block set up against him,
3: mm-hmm. so
2: it, it, it Queen thought I need to go make this tackle. But what he really still needed to do was was cover Eckler on the potential lateral, and he he was the only guy who could have stopped that I think from happening realistically, and uh, and that got missed. So you know, it's, I, I asked PFF what they graded him on that play. They said a zero. They said it was too tough a charge to make for him. Oh, by the way, I asked PFF about all these plays. So the missed tackle on the right sideline, they re the game and said that they actually thought they saw the receiver, Kelly, had his foot out of bounds. They didn't mark him with a missed tackle, even though he gained three additional yards on the play, according to the official rule- ruling. So they gave him a, a rec- credit credit for a regular tackle on that play. Um, the third and 17, they, they didn't make a charge on him. The the next one was the... Was the RL35 by Herbert. That's their big run play of the entire game. If you watch Queen on that play, he's 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 not moving at full speed towards that left sideline. Mm-hmm. And uh then he takes a he t- in the process he takes a very bad angle and Herbert outraces Queen, which should not happen in in that situation. I I, I cannot come up with logic that would tell me that 66 slow ass Herbert can, should be outracing You know patrick queen is one of the faster linebackers in the league um but he did and and he had to turn on the jets in order to catch him and make that shoestring tackle um which he actually ended up getting hurt on so that was it was another bad play because it probably should have been about a five to ten yard gain and he turned it into a 35, honestly, with, with what he did there. I can see you're, you're chomping at the bit here. You, go ahead and answer this one because I've still got a bad play or two that I need to talk about.
3: No, I was going to say that also it was Brent Urban's fault on that play because he decided this, to engage and pop his head up and he went inside, which opened that backdoor lane mm-hmm. so wide that gave him literally – A free run to do whatever you want to. Yes, Queen's angle was bad, but that was one of those rare times that the rush lane integrity blew up. Right.
2: So that's that's interesting because Urban is one of the guys you can always count on to red light himself. He's an outstanding positional defender. And you know one of the things that he does very well is take away space on the run. But when he's in there on a passing situation, he I I see him as someone who's happy to effectively two gap. You don't two gap when you're past defending, but you're trying to you guard against the the quarterback leaving the pocket in either direction. And but he's happy to do that because his main ab- ability he's got is the ability to reach up and knock the football down at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a. I, I I don't disagree with you on that. It's just I I, I thought you know we're we we're, we're, we're listing out the queen plays, but you're right. Yeah, you hit, yeah, hit yeah. yep So anyway, the next one he got into the backfield on the a, a, another run by Eckler, and this play ended up being a missed tackle at minus four in the backfield. Now, normally, first of all, he spun Eckler three hundred and sixty degrees on the play. Normally, that's not going to be a bad play at all because somebody's going to clean that up. And Oa did for a loss of one, and usually retracking the running back in that way is not like a miss tackle. It should be like a tenth of a miss tackle or a quarter of a miss tackle in terms of the, the the relative impact of it. But he right. made it worse on this play because he missed him, and then he tried to get back into the play, and he went helmet to helmet on Matapeke and knocked about the game. Jeez. So it, was, it was quite a, a a series of unfortunate events here for Patrick Queen in this game, and um uh. I don't remember what they said about that particular play in terms of uh, of PFF but uh uh it was a it, it, it was just a I didn't think I didn't see how you can add up those plays that he had and get to that very high PFF rating that he <laughs> that he came out with. I, I had to leave him well I won't even say but but it was he was a tough decision on the on the uh on the MVP
3: voting for this game on the defense even though he had a bunch of great plays. I would, yeah. I yeah. Yep, I, I definitely feel you on that one for sure. I, I think he had the highs of highs, and I think he has some very low issues that he needs to clean up. Yep. All right, well, your turn. Who you want to talk about? I would like to talk about J- Javania No, I would like to talk about Clowny. I... I was skeptical to start the year. I didn't know how much he had left in the tank because of what happened in Cleveland. What happened in Tennessee. I thought he was coming here and it was a a feel-good story because he should have been here from the start and he's coming here now. Maybe we could jumpstart it. This man has energized... And given this football team an edge, And I know Roquan's been here and he's he's been the sturdy force, but Clowney gave this team an attitude on defense that it was sorely missing. And his play in the game against the Chargers, the man just disrupts everything. He can disrupt your cup of coffee. he he can disrupt your, your, your Zoom call. He's not even got a link to it. Like, he just wakes up and he breathes disruption. And he had several plays where he wasn't the one getting the tackle or the sack, but he was causing all the issues up front. He's believing in dropping in coverage where he did not like it and any other stops he has ever been at. He's enjoying his time here. And you saw that for the first time when he got the recovery on the fumble and he had all his teammates around him. Normally, he's not a big rah-rah guy like that. He'll celebrate his sack. He'll high-five a couple guys. But typically... He'll just go to the sideline and doesn't want the photo up. Yeah, he's 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 doing his job. He's brought here to do a job. You see a little bit of his personality coming out now. And I think that's really important down the stretch for this football team. If he consistently plays the way he's been playing all year
2: ideal fit for this defense in so many ways you mentioned the coverage thing he's been so far above expectation in terms of what he's provided in coverage it's not a big context by the way connie's only dropped to cover maybe maybe 15 times the whole year something like that but it's still a higher percentage than he had in his previous career He only dropped about three three and a half percent of the time coming into this year and it's like up to four and change this year and that's you know, as a much older player than he was younger, you'd figure be more athletic, he'd probably do it more. And he can still come up with some good coverage plays. I thought, you know, you mentioned that the the hip flip and some of the headiness also that went with it and the the willingness to be the first tackler, let Roquan be the second and pry that ball loose. Um, there's just a, a lot of positives to draw on there in a very small context. So the, the thing I liken it to is it's like appreciating a good defensive first baseman. Context is very small. It's not all that important, but it's great to great to see a good defensive first baseman anyway really take his craft seriously.
3: Yes. Saves then, a lot of runs. It it, it does. It saves some
2: lot. <laughs> and then, but th- th- what the, you know, again, this is the one point consideration, the 10 point consideration. The one point consideration is what he can do for you in coverage. What he could do for you as a pass rusher, uh, or even when the other team is passing the ball period has just been ridiculously high level. I mean, he's been uh, he's been in there with pressure on a regular basis. Um, He's a great cleanup guy. He's a great get the first pressure guy. Uh, I just loved everything about his season so far. And uh, he, uh, uh, he had five drive ending plays in this game. I do not believe any other Raven has had that figure so far this year. There have been guys who've had four, but. That's a contribution in some way. Either he had the yep. pressure and it was incomplete or he had a sack fumble, obviously. Impact the one time. Was, yes. Yeah. Uh, so very impressive. I'm a little concerned about this now. All right. I'm officially very concerned. I think I might've lost a file here and I would hate to think that that's true. All right. Well, I'll, I'll figure it out. Anyway, great game, great game for Clowney. And, uh, One that uh, fits in with with the rest of his season in a lot of ways. Just he's had a ton of pressure. I go on. I'll talk about um, Kyle Hamilton in this game because he had an outstanding game. Um, Much more impactful up at that nickel spot. Uh, we talked about in the first episode. If you didn't go, if you didn't listen to that, please go go back and download that. We talked about uh, Kyle Hamilton and some of the versatility he brings you to play on the back end when needed, but but also what kind of a horizontal defender he is. There's just nobody I can remember that can get out with him uh, in space, evade tackles. Um, sorry, evade blocks, make tackles uh, the way he has this year. Uh, the guy who, who kind of is in the same, you know, league as him is the other very similar draft pick, which would be Derwin James of of the Chargers. Um, and uh, Hamilton just seems to be a better value at this point than than James was. James obviously missed some time due to injuries so far. Been a great player, All Pro his first year. It looks like uh, Hamilton may get that this year. Uh, if he doesn't, he's going to be he's going to be close in the voting. He certainly almost almost certainly will make the Pro Bowl. I would say, given the quality of the Ravens' defense, would you agree with that?
3: I would agree with that, yeah. They seem like they should have at least six representatives defensively. If you also oh, make it clowney, Matabike, Roquan, Humphrey because of who he is. Okay. Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And then Stevens being the wild card. Steven's you going to have a Patrick Queen as a possibility or probably not. Not how deep the well, the AFC and serial linebackers are not as deep as the NFC. He's got a possibility, particularly with Matt Milano out for the season.
2: Mm-hmm. There you go. That's a good point.
3: So, but the NFC, if he's in the NFC, no. 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 <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> there are some war horses over there in the NFC. <laughs>
2: Uh great great set of plays for Hamilton in this game. Really only gave up one pass, and that was a very difficult to defend pass. It's behind him in front of Stevens in a cover three look. And um, I just I don't think there was a there was a easy way to stop that. That was the one that went to Erickson on that left sideline. Uh he had pressure events. You know, one of the things I've loved about the motor, and this is a general comment about the Ravens defenders, is the play is not over when that first pressure is achieved, even if you fall down to the ground. You get up and you chase that quarterback and you force the completion of that play. Hopefully not the completion of the pass, the completion of the play. Usually that means making the quarterback throw the ball away or grounded or whatever it might be. But uh, Hamilton and Clowney, Matapike have done a great job of that this year. And I think that the, the Ravens have a great
3: set of motors on that uh, uh, on that pass rush crew. I would agree with that 110%. It's a mindset. It is ingrained from you from the very beginning, running to the football and everyone getting there. You'd be surprised how many defensive teams don't preach that. And you can see that around the NFL. You see only two or three guys in the screen, maybe a few more guys. I've seen plenty of Ravens game this year. And at a minimum, there are nine guys in the screen and that's probably 75% of the time. So getting to the football and, and being present is, is amazing thing. And, and having Hamilton as the spearhead of that from the outside in It changed the defense last year when Roquan came in and Hamilton moving to that slot again this year. It's his most dominant spot, and teams cannot figure out how to attack him. And eventually, they're going to have to stop attacking him and and figure out something different. So let's let's talk about that concept for just a little bit because this is
2: maybe a, a defensive concept that I know you would would have ingrained, but that other people don't really completely get. Your your wide receiver or um uh, <laughs> this is so obvious. You you, know, it's, you really <laughs> wonder if people know it. your wide receiver screens and your tight end screens. They have to go to the side where you have multiple receivers or they don't work. Either have a bunch formation over there or you just have two and it's one blocker and and, and one behind him. But you have to have two guys that are close to each other. So your slot corner is almost 100% of the time, and you can have a two-by-two two where you can you can mess them up, but but basically 100% of the time, your slot corner is going to be on that side of the field. So mm-hmm. you can't avoid Hamilton in any kind of wide receiver screen game. Right. You, you can't avoid Hamilton – if you want to stretch the ball to his side of the field at all, and if you want to stretch to the side where you got only one receiver, you're inherently playing with yet another disadvantage that, that that's there. So it's it really takes away a lot of of options for the offense. To have Hamilton in, in in that slot role? Uh, yeah. Just it's just a wonderful,
3: <laughs> it's, it's a, a luxury it's a that yeah. yeah, it's a luxury that no other team in the league has, and not even close. And there are teams that run this type of nickel defense with, with you know, a corner always on the field. And they just don't have a guy where they have a guy who can cover. They got a guy who can run defend. But if I'm an offensive coordinator and I see one of those other guys on the field, what am I going to do opposite? You can't do that with Hamilton. You can't say, hey, he's on the field. They're only going to do this they're in big nickel. I mean, they can be in big nickel and, and everyone on that nickel can cover somebody (laughs) and do it very well. And even your speed guys are covered.
2: You trust your linebackers to, to cover some of that whip root action that you might get from Hamilton. And honestly, I've talked about this a number of times on the show. So this is nothing new, but uh, the, the, the whip route, if you've got Zay flowers in the middle of the field, And he decides he wants to run a whip route or or Julian Edelman or, or, you know, even slower guys who just know how to run a route and reverse their field quickly. They're uncoverable in, in, from that, from that standpoint. So it doesn't matter whether you have Kyle Hamilton on the field or whether you have, you know, some really quick slot corner like Lardarius Webb on the field, you know, opposite him, let's say in his prime, it's either way, you're probably not going to get that whip route covered, but you, 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 you. What you do get out of Hamilton is you get size, you get pass rush, you get this horizontal defense. Um, it's much, you know, even like great downhill corners from the slot, like Corey Ivy. Um, you know that the Ravens had smaller guy, but tremendous downhill defender. Um, He can't do the things that Hamilton do in terms of horizontal defense. He really wants to be coming down to a guy who catches a pass in front of him. When he's going to the side, it's going to be a twist down. It's going to be he's going to have trouble getting off a block if he has to even beat a wide receiver out there. It's not Hamilton's problem. Hamilton, those blockers don't even exist.
3: Don't, Don't even exist. And most tight ends that he's seen this year have not been able to handle him yeah, good point. On, any, on any screens. I think the only tight end that he had a little bit of issue with was the Pittsburgh one. And that dude's like 6'7", 290. Like, everybody's going to have a little issue. Oh, the new that. guy, Washington. The, yes. Uh, the Alabama guy, yeah. He had a little issue because they started to run at Hamilton in the second half with Warren and they were just kind of getting up to Hamilton in, in the nickel and the Ravens couldn't stop the off tackle duos that they were getting against the Steelers. Yeah. Washington's got
2: tremendously long arms. And actually actually went to Georgia. I think now that I say that, I don't, I don't want to yeah. make Jake Vogel angry with me. He's a Georgia fan. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, great, great player.
3: Um, all right. Whose turn is it? Did you, did you I
2: I pick Campbell? see you turn?
3: Yep. Yeah. I'm going to go with the dancing bear, Michael Pierce. He has, once again, he dominated up front. He controlled the center and the guards. He provided pass rush. He provided pass cover stamps. I mean, go back and watch the film. This man wants to be a linebacker in his life. He's probably wanted his past life at some point. <laughs> um but he brings a, a run stopping presence in the middle of the field where teams, unless it is Cincinnati and Cleveland, because they just know who we are, they will attack they won't attack you in the middle of the field. They won't try to run into what this team has built down the middle with Pierce, Roquan. You can throw Hamilton if you want to, and, and with Williams. Down the middle, it is a very strong football team and Pierce is the head of that spear who has really helped this D-line mature and grow into the force that they've become and he's allowed a lot of that freedom because he's very good in the stunt and and pass rush games that the ravens love to run
2: yes it's i did not expect this to be the case because you look at pierce and you say there's an under there's a guy you want setting the pick diving under and boy he's big enough and powerful enough that he, he he's gonna have a reasonable chance to get to use a rip move when the peel occurs and get completely free of that guy, you know, because he's mm-hmm. going to be close, his arms under, he's already diving to get, but he's usually the over guy. He's usually the guy that, you know, oh my God, Michael Pierce is now looping over the top. Somebody has to peel off and give him Matabike, oftentimes, a chance to, uh, to rush free from that, from that spot. And it's usually the under guy who has the better pass rush opportunities. It's not, not, it oftentimes, anyway, is not the looper who's getting the really good um, rush opportunities. It's oftentimes, the underneath guy and uh, Pierce has been just terrific at, at being the peel guy. I, the the other player that he kind of reminds me of in Ravens history is the nose tackle James Jones, who played for the Ravens in the late nineties. He stunted more than any other player in Ravens history on a per snap basis, and he also this is this is still incredible to me. This happened in the Ravens' first year in nineteen ninety six. They played an overtime game against the Rams, but they played 91 defensive snaps. And Jones played. Jones became one of the only Ravens, and there's been like four now, to play 90 defensive snaps in a game. Can you imagine that on the defensive line, play 90 snaps in one football game?
3: I've seen, I've seen my, uh, a team that I played on play 108 snaps against Delaware. I don't know if the defensive line got anywhere <laughs> close to 90 snaps but I know that the secondary linebackers had to play 108 snaps one time. Wow. And that was brutal. I, I saw the 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 evidence at practice. What
2: era was that? Was that like the Flacco era at Delaware? Or who was there when you... When
3: that you- was the wing T era. So that was Tubbs. Okay. At Delaware. And it was Mickey Matthews' sec- first year at JMU. And... Delaware came into town it was homecoming and our offense was just not doing anything all day mm-hmm. but our defense was literally hanging in there and 108 snaps later they get a fumble on what we call a sally but as a counter tray basically to the wing back and we somehow Sniffed it out at the goal line and went the other way a hundred yards and won the football game on a wow. final recovery. Yeah. So but hundred and eight snaps. But there's no
2: overtime included in that in that game. It was, no. it,
3: was well. it was they dominated. I mean, it was wing T. So it was three yards in the cloud of dust. You know, it was third and two. <laughs> every, oh, other time, huh? <laughs> yeah, every other play. Every other play is third and two. That's good.
2: <laughs> yeah. The thing with uh, with games that have a lot of running like that, you expect them to 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 be over sooner because of because they're running clock. But I guess they 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 were running with pace too. They went to the line of scrimmage quickly.
3: It was that, but also back then the clock stopped on first downs in college. Mm. So even if you were running a ball in a cloud, it was stopping. It was stopping for thirty seconds. So they set the chains. Everybody would get, you know back in position and here you go with another quick succession of three plays and the mm-hmm. clock would stop. And I mean, they had multiple 18 play drives. That's ugly. Multiple. <laughs>
2: that's, that's very ugly.
3: Let's get
2: let's back, back to Pierce here for a second. Um, he really had his way ragdolling um, clap the center and we'll a a back up. And he's, he's a really a replacement level player. He's One of the really weak players it looked to me like a fair amount of the Ravens' scheme was intended to get Pierce a one-on-one matchup against Clapp. So they're trying to avoid the situations where you can get a double team. Well, How can you do that? You can have your, your edge diving in a little bit off the edge, or you can set up somebody in the A-gap um, to, to try and get that guard's attention on the mm-hmm. on the one side, but he got a lot of one-on-one opportunities against Clapp, and when he did, he owned him in terms of pushing him into the backfield, and that was uh, one of the great things about that. Love his hustle, picking up the fumble from Eckler Urban, and, and he's picking up a fumble there. My understanding is that those guys are like each other's best friend on the team. I could be wrong about this. It might be somebody else Pierce is, is, is in with – but you always see them together on the bench talking together. And they're two of the happiest people in terms of, of always being into things and whatnot. But uh, uh, I, I think that information came from Melissa Kim originally. And one of the Ravens coaches had the very unpleasant un, uh, comment. I don't know, unpleasant, mean comment um, that together they were a perfect 10. <laughs> <laughs> You know, obviously, Uh, urban is the one and Pierce is the zero in that situation (laughs) in terms of body type. If I have to explain that, but
3: anyway,
2: (laughs) great game from Pierce.
3: That's a great, yeah. He, he was well done by him and, and hopefully Uh, he continues to, to play very well going down the stretch is one of the Ravens most important
2: players. I would love to get him back here next year. And I kind of wonder what the cost is going to be like at this point. Um, it, it it won't be cheap, but um, I'm still hoping, you know, it, 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 meaning when I say it won't be cheap, it won't be the vet
3: minimum. But. No, but he's learned his lesson. Remember, he went to Minnesota and it all crashed and burned. So he's, that's going to play a very big part in him thinking, do I really need to go get paid or do I just take a reasonable contract that I know That I'm going to be here another three years.
2: I I hope you're right. I don't think it's going to be a three-year deal, but I hope you're right that he'll stay with the Ravens. And it may be that he wants a three-year deal. Nobody will give it to him, and he comes back to the Ravens and signs a one-year deal for say two and a half million, three million plus playing time incentives. You know, something that just just you know he is the rare player where I think workout bonuses make sense. But I think one of the things with the Ravens this time around is they really haven't been too worried about his weight like they were the last time. Now they list him at three fifty five and they let it ride. And you know, it's, I think I think that's a fairly honest representation of his playing weight. I don't think it's too I don't think it's too high. Let's put it that way. Um, it's possible he's even playing a little heavier than that. And uh, he he carries that weight very well. So, you know, we talked about he he still maintains good leverage, pad level, moves his feet very well. And you can still use him on the over on stunts. That tells you right there that he carries that
3: 355 pretty well. Yeah. And he he seems very fresh in ball games. He doesn't Mm -hmm. look like, you know, your typical 355 guy in the game kind of grasping. He's he's in really good shape. He's,
2: he's, by the way, he's going to set his career high in snaps this year. So he has 472 right now. And if assuming he doesn't get hurt, his, his high was 594 in 2017. So he's only 122 short with five games to play. So he's going to make it. Um, they've, they've just done a wonderful job, obviously, of managing his playing time effectively this year. Um, but there hasn't, it, it's never really seemed at any point to me like he's been worn down in a game. Like like there's been a game, boy. This guy's
3: just he's got his hands on his hips the whole time and uh whatnot. Yeah. No, I haven't I haven't seen that from any of the D line this year. Seems like they've they've Anthony Weaver has got them on a very good rotation. Yeah.
2: just you see her Anthony Weaver at the podium today? He had one of the great comments of all times. He's asking about Tavius Robinson. He goes, You know what? I hate rookies. <laughs> <laughs> Because, because, let me just start with that. Because you have to put up with so much crap, and I forget exactly how he said it, but it was it was absolutely hilarious. Everyone was laughing, and he goes, "Oh, but I mean, Tavius Robinson is different because he's really working hard at his craft. He's doing is <laughs> no doubt in my mind. Not only is Weaver just kind of naturally comical, but he's very intelligent. Clearly, great leader of men. You know, some of the things he does in terms of of taking the defensive linemen through their reps are really." Man, stuff where normally they wear those those long arm pads to do the rip drills against the line. He doesn't even wear those sometimes, and they just go in. And, you know, he's over, he's over forty now. I mean, he's could get, be getting bruised like crazy by that. But you know, particularly ten guys running. You oh, gotta come on, bring it on. You know, he's yeah.
3: he's, he's, uh, he's a think, very a tough dude. I think Chuck Chuck's must said it today. He's like someone asked him about his contribution to the pass rush. He's like. It hasn't been me. It's been Anthony Weaver. He's like, there's a D-line coach. He said, there's a head coach coaching the D-line right now. And I mean that when I say that. And I, I was I, like, that's some choice words right there. That's that's high praise from one of your boys inside of the building, willing to say that out loud. Yeah. I mean, first of
2: all, in, in terms of the – um being the manager of that guy, you would always want to say that. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, he, he is, he's an assistant coach and and he does not work under Chuck Smith directly, but you certainly want to take, wouldn't want to take credit for his work. It's the worst thing you can do. You know, just, there's plenty of credit for everybody. This is a fantastic defense. You know, Chuck Smith, the team's got 47 sacks. Chuck Smith's going to get his credit for that as well as McDonald in, right. in the way things have gone. Because frankly there's a ton of credit to go around. I hope Jadavian Clowney gets the c- credit that he deserves out of this because it's been a it's it's been a real group effort. But I absolutely love the the uh, the Weaver thing and um, pretty good chance he gets that head coaching gig. And if he does, that's
3: two third round picks to the Ravens.
2: So be yeah. pretty sweet deal.
3: Speaking of that, they better make the the deal now that Mike McDonald doesn't ever leave this building. Are are you? I, I see.
2: I, they 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 have ways they can do that. They yeah. can just pay him like a head coach right now if they wanted to. And you know, I'm all for spending Bishotti's non cap dollars for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> but those cap dollars, they belong to me. Damn it! Yeah. You know, it's a season ticket holder, seriously. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you don't screw with my cap dollars. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. but uh, but I do love the fact that Bishotti has brought in the positional coaches that are. Just quality top to bottom.
3: Um, you know, I think in this organization now, I if you look at the group that they have now, and then go back to 2010 Mm -hmm. when they were rolling out the Chuck Paganos, um, the Jack Del Rios, the Marvin Lewis's of the world, they were just churning out all those coordinators that were just going out. Mm And they've got that type of staff starting to brew with Mike McDonald, T. Martin, Chuck Smith, Anthony Weaver. There's some guys on the staff that a couple more years, they're going to get some opportunities.
2: Ask you about one work. other guy, Chris Hewitt. Does he seem like he might be a head coaching candidate at some point?
3: In the right situation, yes. Okay. And I think that is kind of in the Harbaugh mode. Like he's going to walk into a situation where he's going to be used to running an entire group. And that's different because he's going to be touching. Like Harbaugh said, when he came in, he's going to be able to relate to the defensive guys. He's going to relate to the offensive guys because he sees them all every day in his meeting room. So that's going to translate to him as a head coach a lot differently than, you know, a guy coming to be an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator. Cause he's used to only talking to certain group of guys. So I think Chris Hugh is going to need to walk into a situation where he's going to have to have control in a sense of the whole project and not to say I'm coming in to fix special teams or I'm coming in to, Like I'm an offensive guru. This is what I'm going to do. Like the guy in Miami, or what Brandon Staley thought he was in in (laughs) in San Diego. Like he's just going to have to be the all around dude who can communicate to everyone, who is a great communicator, leader of men, and and take it from there.
2: Seems he seems very sharp. Um, I did notice he's in his ninth year now coaching the secondary here, which is a long time. To be in one place, and I didn't. I honestly didn't. I, time has gotten away from me. I did not realize he'd been here that long, but uh, I guess 2015. That means he got here. Um, yeah. All right. I want to mention one other player. We got to get to some some mailbag too here and, and, and talk MVPs. But Arthur Mallette, If we can't let this pass without him him being talked about, he played seven plays in this football game. Very first play came in was the play at the end of the half. Fifth dime play for the for the for the team the entire season you can tell i'm a little salty about that all the time but but anyway <laughs> he, at, on the, he, he, he came up took the took the interception away from hamilton and darby i think it was uh at the two yard line and and a uh, really nice play there he came in and then for a, one more series and it was the second to last one where they end up stopping the team on fourth and six the unheralded play he had was at q4 223 so Herbert threw the ball to Guyton. It was a four-yard pass. By the way, Guyton did nothing all game. The Ravens really completely blanketed him. But um, little pass for four yards, one plus three, in between the, the, the numbers and the, and the right hash. Arthur made the tackle in the open field, pulled his shoe off, and he let it, let it be there. Anyway, they couldn't get another playoff before two minutes because Guyton is trying to get his shoe back on. Herbert wanted to run a play; he had them at the line of scrimmage, and Guyton is still fiddling with getting his shoe on. <laughs> he couldn't do it. Anyway, <laughs> clocks dropped down to two minutes, and and not only did the did the Ravens prevent an additional play, which might have helped them or hurt them, frankly, from from you know being up three at that point, but they got a rest for the defense, and they came back on and had a chance to defend against third and six when they came back from from two minutes there. And they stopped that play with an incomplete to Queen that only took three seconds off the clock. And then Mallette stepped out of the phone booth again at one fifty seven to go, rushed unblocked off that offensive left side, didn't miss the tackle. Herbert looked like a deer in the headlights. He didn't really try and move, but Mallette spun him right down. And I don't know how Herbert even got the ball off in a forward direction because I think it was pretty much random in terms of, of, of how he's throwing as he was being spun that way. But it should have been a sack. Ended up being an intentional grounding. Either way, uh, game-saving play by Molette. They still had to get the touchdown from Zay Flowers after that. They actually only needed a first down, but they, they got the touchdown from Zay Flowers to, to close out the game. But that ended the drive where the, the the really highest level of fear was right there.
3: Yeah, and you can tell the attention, the attention to detail on that particular play with Molette. They had coached him on that play or they had told him on the sideline, like when you come off there, get your hands up. Cause I'm cause throughout the whole second half, he was getting the ball out quick. So if you show your hands, it might make him hesitate. And it did. I I wouldn't I wouldn't say Darby had the best coverage out there mm-hmm. on Allen if if Herbert had stepped into that and let it rip. I don't know if he would be able to you know make that throw? He could have. Oh, do, but- you, do you think
2: he was going to throw the ball to Allen? Why would he have thrown the ball to Allen? <laughs> <laughs> he
3: didn't I don't know. Just throw the ball to anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> so, just the attention to detail, the r- rushing under control, and then on top of that, once you get there, not doing something crazy to get a fifteen-yard penalty.
2: Yep. Yep. Very true. You know, the other thing is, and this is a lot of defenders have trouble with this great pass rushers don't, but a lot of, a lot of defenders have a natural instinct to jump at any sort of a pump fake. And, you know, you you get yourself on the ground, you lose your feet in that situation. Herbert just moves left, moves right, either avoids the sack that way or makes the pass that way. Mallette just had his hands up racing right at Herbert the whole time. And uh, I think it's a great point that, that, uh, you know, being coached to have your hands up is is a great thing. When you're a slot corner and you don't always find yourself in that position, it's it's maybe mm-hmm. not obvious. But uh, this is Mauletz effectively his third sack of the year and effectively the seventh for Ravens slot corners. Which, when you look at them, for for them to have seven full sacks at this point, they would be, I think, second on the team. Or does Clowney have seven and a half now? Either way, they'd be right up near the. Yeah, team right there.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 a treat to watch. When it's used correctly and not abused. I think some teams get caught in abusing it. The Steelers got caught abusing it for a long time and they had to dial it back for a while. They don't use it as much in terms of the slot blitz anymore because teams were just like, we know it's coming. (laughs) So because some quarterbacks really know how to read
2: hot and other ones are not that great at it. And I think McDonald has been very good at figuring out which of those quarterbacks c- can actually get the hot read, and, and uses a lot less off ball blitzes
3: against. I mean, you can, yeah. You can see that against Cincinnati Joe Burrow. Yeah. They don't, they don't know. They refuse to do it. And if they do it, it's very sneaky. They trying yeah. to slide it in there.
2: <laughs> yeah. You gotta, you gotta rotate your coverage to, to fill that gap very quickly for the hot read. All right, well, how about we move on? We talk about the MVPs in this game, and, and if you're good with it, we'll go three, two, one. You name your number three guy, and then I'll follow up.
3: My number three guy, um, I talked about him earlier would be Brandon Stevens. I think he he gave, like you said before, he's solidified the right corner position, giving them a guy they can roll out there every day, just like a fifth starter who can go out there and just Calm the waters down and give you the performance that you need and not have to worry about what he's doing over there. And that's a very peaceful thing in the mind of a defensive coordinator. He's, he's
2: been an unbelievable, in terms of delivering above expectation, it's him and what Tyler Linderbaum has become as a pass blocker, um, you know, in terms of improvement on this team that have just been remarkable. And, and, you know, maybe we have to throw Clowney in there as, as another guy who, who is performing at a high degree of expectation. But anyway, love the pick for your third guy. I'm going to go with Michael Pierce um, on mine. We just talked about him. So I don't think we need to recover a lot, but he's producing in a lot of ways, run defense as a uh, pass rusher and uh, being a man who, who could make an opportunistic play every once in a while, much better pursuit player, then I think anybody gives him credit for that Now, most of it is within that the numbers, certainly that a lot of his pursuit is occurring, but still an effective, uh, effective guy there.
3: Great pick. I, I'm going to go with someone we did not hear his name very often, which is a great thing as a safety, Marcus Williams. When you do not hear a peep from your safeties, that means it was an outstanding day on the back end. And I think he has improved every week since he's been back from injury. And you can just see the bubble tightening on defense more and more as he gets back in the swing with everyone.
2: Very effective player, certainly in this game. couple PDs. One of them didn't get credited in the game book, um, but it ended a drive. Actually, a, th- a nice third and 10 PD. So, uh, you know, two good plays on the football like that. I love the pick. I went with his uh, other coverage buddy, Kyle Hamilton, as the, as the number two guy in this game. Awful lot of things right. We talked about his value as a horizontal defender, and, and uh, I think have slidered enough praise on him in this game that we don't have to keep going. But uh, all over the field making plays, and I think they had the right guy, or one of the right guys, talking to the media after the game.
3: Absolutely. And I would say my MVP is Clowney this week. I, I think it's hands down probably his best performance of the year. Across I, I the would, board.
2: Ag- I, I would agree. And he's also my number one guy. And, and the big thing for me is the five contributions to five drive ending plays. And uh, you just don't see that very often. I mean, they, they had what, 11 drives in the game. So that's a, that's a, a lot of what happened. And, In terms of the individual play in this game, which really turned it around, well, I mean, you could, I guess, you point to a couple that he made, but the forced fumble he had to end that twenty-play drive or so, which you know, a couple penalties plus eighteen plays, um, that just was a a enormous game-turning play in terms of getting that defense off the field.
3: That was the that saved them from practicing. This week (laughs) that that allowed them to to enjoy this, uh, this break and, and line them up in a way that going nine and three into the last five games of the season gives them an opportunity to be special.
2: All right. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm obviously looking forward to the stretch and what happens here. i have got a few questions in the film study mailbag I want to try and attach here. Alrighty. All right, let's go to the first one. This comes from Isaiah. I don't think I've seen him. Stogleyog, Stogleyog. I don't know how you, how you pronounce that. But anyway, it's Isaiah. Thanks for the question. Um, he says, hey, Ken. So the Ravens being dead last in forced fumbles, and that's actually in the relationship between fumble recoveries and forced fumbles and 20th in passes defense to turnovers probably changed in this game. Do you think the reason behind this is due to the nature of our defense and not sending numbers for sacks and teams not taking shots down the field as much? All right, I'll start with this. Maybe I'll I'll take half of it. I'll let you answer the past one, but I think in terms of the forced fumbles there is a fair amount of luck involved, but if there's one thing I haven't been particularly satisfied with the Ravens pass rush, it's not getting good first shots at the club move to knock the ball loose. They have way too many sacks for as few forced fumbles as they have and I know they've got some compound sacks in there, but I'm just I'm not very satisfied with the with the total number of forced fumbles related to the sacks. So the other question was about, passes defense and, and turning um, converting more interception opportunities, I guess, particularly when the Ravens are in zone defense.
3: So I will answer that this way is teams play the Ravens differently. And I, I think it's for years and years and years. And, and you can see it with any other team who is very good defensively, like San Francisco and the Patriots in the day. You don't take risk. And game plans are, I'm going to throw it high and wide to the outside, least opportunity for a ball to get tipped, something crazy to happen, because you start, you know, dealing down the middle of the field, there's a lot more defenders. There's a lot more opportunities that can go wrong with that ball, being in the air, a lot more hands involved.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: So... Teams understand when they play the Ravens that A, the Ravens average about 100 to 200, 150 to 200 yards rushing. So you have to value your possessions against their defense because they're only giving up 13 points a game. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: So what are you going to, you're not going to take chances and turn the ball over when you know you're only going to have maybe eight to nine possessions in a football game. You turn the ball over one or two times, that's it. It's over. It's hard to come back from in the NFL. I,
2: I've got I've got maybe a slightly different take on this. I think that the Ravens have prevented a lot of the riskier downfield throws that can result in interceptions just by the fact that they, they set up. And so, the ball out quick throws to the sideline. The, the three step drops. The, the other the other way is that the ball is out quickly to a running back or whatever. So very high percentage of completions, very low percentage of interceptions, and you have to have almost a schemed-up play like we saw Hamilton execute against the Browns where he knows exactly what's coming because they're basically laying it out there as bait for Watson um, in order to set up an interception on such a play. So I I think while zone defense normally should create a lot more interceptions with, with the way the Ravens play defense is so in your face to the quarterback, the quarterbacks really don't like to put the ball up in the middle of the field, period. Tip drill interceptions should be occurring probably at a higher rate, but uh but you but they but they don't want to put up the ball downfield and have Geno Stone or Marcus Williams be uh, racing after it. All right, got one other question here, and this is actually more of a – I think we've addressed this already, but Gooba the man, really appreciate this question because I did look at this as I was going through, but he says uh, that at Q4 223 on the broadcast, you can see them talking about Guyton losing his shoe and Herbert wanting to get another play out, and they can't because Guyton can't get his shoe back out on time. I appreciate you pointing that out in advance because it did make me look for it when I reviewed the game. And I'm not sure I would have caught it otherwise. They, they they were talking about it. We often have the sound turned way down as I'm you know trying to trying to call out notes and Maureen is writing them down and we're 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 uh, uh, going through this process. So I probably I, I might have missed that had you not pointed out. But I do appreciate it, Guba. Thanks for thanks for bringing that to our attention. I think that's all I've got in terms of mailbag questions. I don't see another one here. But I I just want to thank you again, Denard, for coming on. Uh great time always talking football with you and, and what you bring in terms of your uh expertise with the game, your knowledge of, of defense and whatnot from your own perspective. I really appreciate. It.
3: Well, thanks for having me always. And it's always fun to talk football and have the stats that sometimes I don't even think about. Um you bring up and and it pop up in my mind and it's just it's it just validates a lot that goes through my brain. So I appreciate everything you do. Appreciate appreciate that.
2: Uh tell folks where they can talk football with you online and, and where they can download your pod.
3: Awesome. So you can catch me um on Apple Tunes. Apple, you know, you can find a podcast there the Fire Zone Show, or you can find me on X under the Fire Zone Show or at Denard 13.
2: All right, outstanding. Make sure you give that podcast a listen. We did talk about it a little bit at the beginning, but uh, Michael Crawford and Denard, two very good ones, and uh, and they put out quality content. Other folks out there, if you'd like to, please hit me up. If you want to do a film study short, perfect time during the bye week I've got some good ideas, but I'm always looking for more and look, re- looking for record more. So I have a, an extra program per week that I can put out. Often, I don't put out anything on Monday, for example. It's a perfect time for a thoughtful thought experiment that doesn't have a real timely nature to it. Um, Love those kind of pods and having them ready to go. Uh, Anyway, it doesn't have to be a metric or anything, but any kind of a smaller granular topic you want to talk about that we can take 15 to 20 minutes on. uh, Love to have that discussion with you. Denard, thanks again for joining me. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.